Good morning, everyone, and it's awesome to see you. I'm glad you're here. Please turn to the book of James. In verse, uh, chapter 5, we're going to look at the first six verses of chapter 5 in the book of James. James 5, 1 through 6. And it reads, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Well, we're going to break this down because I understand the reading of this text. It's actually pretty harsh. It's pretty harsh, and I bet a lot of us are sitting here going, whoo, man, I'm glad that's not about me. But... God's Word always has a purpose for us, and we have a wonderful, wonderful purpose to explore today for our lives. This is applicable. Again, we start with come now. This means attention. We talked about this last week. I need your attention, James says, because he is condemning the wicked rich who are most likely oppressing the members of the early church community. Now, not all rich people are being targeted here. Folks, it is not a sin to be rich. This is not what he's saying. This message is for the unjust and the oppressive rich. These oppressive rich are, one, hoarding treasure, defrauding workers' wages, living self-indulgent and luxurious lives at the cost of others, right? And they are mistreating and depriving the righteous, So how do we know that James is not addressing the Christians in the church? Let's figure that out first. Well, number one, folks, in this text, there is no hope of repentance. There's no hope of repentance. And the language here, the language points to final condemnation, not a temporary discipline. And of course, if you look down at verse 7, everybody look, this is for next week, of course. The very first verse says in verse 7, be patient therefore, brothers. This is telling us that our brothers, the church members, are the ones that are suffering under the behaviors of this oppressive rich. So why address this particular group at all? Why address these wicked, oppressive rich, these wealthy landowners? Because that's what they were, wealthy landowners. You know, they would not be a part of this church gathering They wouldn't even have heard this letter read out loud. But here's the thing, it's clear that these outsiders are being condemned for their wickedness of heart and their wickedness in actions against the poor. But this text is also designed as a warning. Remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about creating warning signs for ourselves as we walk through life. Things that we need to know, be alerted for, right? And the potential of danger. So it's designed as a warning for those members of the church who would themselves be tempted to follow this kind of behavior, right? That might be tempted. 
It's also to, uh, to refresh the memory of all those in the church that hope is given to the righteous. And we're going to talk about that next week. There is hope. Prayers are heard. Outcries are heard. And he wants to instill that hope, especially under the oppression of this horrible, horrible behavior. So James says that these rich are going to weep and howl for the miseries that are coming. This is expressive of, of, of deep distress. This is deep distress. This is not only will tears be present, but there will be wailing and lamentations and outcries. These calamities, these miseries that are coming, they would be great. Why? Because it's God's wrath and it's God's vengeance. That's why the calamities and the miseries will be great. James says, you have accumulated so much, more than you need. You could have helped others with your riches, but instead, you hoarded this treasure to the point of it rotting. Even your many garments are being destroyed by moths. Folks, back then, fashion wasn't like it is today. Back then, fashion didn't change as much and as frequently as it does today. So they would store and lay up garments for the future. But they too were being destroyed. They were being eaten by moths. Now, here's the thing. It's the same idea as the rotting money just expressed in a different form. That's why we bring up garments and we bring up treasure and money. These great quantities have been laid up and they're doing no one any good while all along the poor have been suffering. Now, this accumulation of riches... This accumulation of riches and garments are rotting. We know that. They're spoiled and they're destroyed. Remember the parable of the rich fool we talked about last week when we were referring to the brevity of life and, and God's will and plans for our lives? I just want to read Luke 12. I want to read 18 through 21 this week. Luke 12, 18 through 21. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, so you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Full this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Church family, this farmer, in his self-indulgence and in his self-deception, remember the book of James exposes the deception of self, Right, in those, he thought that he owned all these things. He didn't own these things. God is the owner. We are the stewards. But, amen, but he thought that. So what is rich? What does being rich towards God mean? Well, the point for that is this. It's for us to treasure what he treasures and value what he values. And when we get off course and that treasure and value don't match up, we know we are in the wrong, and we know that we are out of line with God's will. That's why it's so important, the title of this message, If Your Money Could Talk. See, your gold and silver, James goes on, they're deteriorating. They have become tarnished, discolored. They have become corroded. Of course, gold and silver were beautiful, right? They were valued for their beauty. They are precious metals. Today, they're still precious metals. But this is a prophetic indictment. It's a prophetic denouncement when he talks about this. See, these things, the corrosion of this money, is going to bear testimony against them. 
this wealth is not being used as it should be. They're not paying the workers what they're owed. They're holding back that money and using it for them, right? They're, 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 they're not paying what's due. They're not even doing good to others. I would rather keep it here instead of helping you. Very Ebenezer Scrooge if you want a cultural context. See, the problem, <clears throat> and with us today too, the decay, the very decay would not be visible to the eyes of the people, to James's audience. They're seeing these people walk around in these beautiful garments with this shiny gold and shiny silver jewelry. They're adorned, they're gorgeous, and they're walking around right in front of them. They can't see the decay. Why it's not visible to them, though, on Judgment Day, on Judgment Day, the miseries that are coming, these wicked oppressors, folks, their misuse of wealth will testify against them. Their money will talk. It will cry out against them. I love the story. You know the blood of Abel in Genesis 4.10? Blood talks. Genesis 4.10. It says this. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. So when I tell you that your money will talk, don't think for a second that God doesn't know what it's saying. If he can hear the blood of Abel crying to him from the ground. We have to get real about that. God sees all. God knows all. So, the decay is there. We don't see it, but it's there. The corrosion of their wealth. This is the evidence that will be presented in the presence of God. Could you imagine standing before God and then all these things come out? I'd like to say something real quick, if you don't mind. Terrifying. It's evidence that will be presented in the presence of God. And he goes on to say that they have laid up treasures for themselves in the last days. And I'm going to place emphasis on this treasure here in a sec. Where was their treasure laid? It's got to be earthly or heavenly. Those are the two places we can lay up our treasure. And it's absolutely evident where their treasure was being laid on earth. Their treasures are here on earth. And unfortunately, this is where their heart is. Yes, you know that Pastor Mark is always going to bring up the heart. Romans 2.5. Romans 2.5 says this. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Folks, what we value, what is important, our passions, our desires, they all stem from the heart. This is where they're manufactured. So where these things are, so too is the heart. Back in 10th grade, I had a serious girlfriend. Her name was Becky. And it was my first real girlfriend. We had already had a year invested, and I was all about this relationship, and I thought she was. But she broke up with me after about a year and a month or so. Oh, folks, come on, 16 years old. I was devastated. So I said, what's my weapon of choice? Well, I was a songwriter. So I wrote a song for her. And I went and moved to our friend Beverly's house, and I played it. She was like, oh, Mark, it's so good. you got to go see you. I said, okay, let's go. So I drove the car over to Becky's house, and I brought her out, and I put both girls in the front seat, and I sat in the back. Uh, young people back then, we had bench seats. The cars were much bigger, and you could fit a lot more in there. So I'm in the back, and I'm playing. And it just dawned on me when I was writing this sermon this week, one of these verses. 
And it hit me so hard. Let me tell you one of the verses I sang to her. If our love is to drown in the depths of the deepest sea, that's where my heart will be. It too will go down. Ooh. <laughs> right? It worked. It worked. Two weeks. She broke up again. No more songs. But what was interesting about this is that verse came back to me, and I said, where in the world, where in the world did I get that? I was 16. I think I was pretty dumb. Where, where, did, I, where did that come from? And I kept thinking, I remember now, I love God, but I was not into God. That was not my priority. I love my family. Nope, not my priority. Hated school, but still went for the social aspect. Um, I was into sports big time. I was into music big time. All these things uh, were involved in my life, but I could care less about any of them. My heart was in this relationship. That was my treasure, and that was all my treasure. So when I said my heart was going to go down into the depths of the deep sea, I was riding from the heart because I was done. That was it. That was my only treasure. And then, you know what happened? By the way, that song was called Captain of a Sinking Ship. It's not on YouTube anymore. I've taken it off, so you'll never be able to hear it. But I looked up a verse, Luke 12, 34. Luke 12, 34 says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And it blew me away, because that's obviously the text I used even back then using this song. I knew that where the treasure was, that's where my heart was, because why? My passions my desires, my ambitions. I was wrapped up in this relationship. So the question is this, is the question, where is your treasure? So let's go back to money talks, because we're going to come back to where's your treasure. But be thinking about that. Money talks. Folks, wages were held back by fraud. These wagers are crying out against the wealthy landowners. Money here is being personified, right, as crying out against the, the rich, excuse me, so, were the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer? Absolutely. These were poor laborers. I'm going to just say this was just slavery. This is borderline slavery. Here's why. See, the laborers were at a disadvantage here. They had no action and recourse. They had no recourse at all. The landowners hired these laborers to do a job, otherwise, right, that they would have to do. If these workers had been compensated fairly, like a free man being paid what he understands to be a just and fair price, well, then there would have been no issue. These laborers were not being paid equivalent of what the task, or excuse me, what they were tasked to do. They were not being paid the equivalent of what they were tasked to do. They were cheated. <clears throat> they were treated like slaves. They were experiencing the very essence of fraud. Again, what recourse and action did they have? Not only were the wages crying out against these rich, but also the harvesters, the laborers themselves were crying out, and they reached the ears of the Lord. But the Bible tells us they reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Let me tell you what the Lord of hosts means. <clears throat> That's the Lord of armies. That is the God of the armies of heaven. So if I go back to verse 1, yeah, I think weeping and howling are very fitting for the miseries that are coming upon these oppressive rich if they are going to be facing God and the armies of heaven. That is terrifying. See, <clears throat> the material prosperity that these rich landowners are enjoying, they're not concerned whether their wealth was acquired legally and fairly or illegally. They don't care. They're not worried about if they're enjoying the wealth that is owed to another the luxury and self-indulgence are fattening them up for the slaughter 
I love the language James uses here. Like an animal who is eating more than its share of the food, right? The hog eating more than its share of the food. Like stall-fed animal that's being overfed. Why? For the sole purpose of fattening them up. But the idea here is in its indulgence, in its eating, which it doesn't even realize, they're being fattened and more fitted for the coming slaughter. For man, for you and I, it is the heart that is being fattened. That's what the Bible says for the slaughter. Proverbs 21.2. Proverbs 21.2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Ladies and gentlemen, these landowners, their hearts would be weighed. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you that weight will be great because they have been fattening up What is the condition of your heart? Where does your treasure lie? So James, again, uses the word murder. We talked about this previously. While the wicked were not physically murdering them, they were metaphorically murdering them by what? Depriving them of earned wages. We need money to purchase food. They were depriving them of purchasing food and feeding their families. It is the spirit of murder, right? It's the attitude and the temper of being murderous. These rich were so powerful. To resist them would be in vain. The oppression was so great. They couldn't win in court. Their cries weren't heard. The oppression continued. There was no one to listen to their cries or make things right. So how could they resist? But I see another side to this of why they didn't resist. Because they had turned these cries over to God, and he heard them. And again, this is my plug for next week. We're going to talk about those cries being answered. Now, I can easily look out in the congregation, and I don't see anyone who fits this full description of oppressive rich. I don't. I don't know of people here that are hoarding their treasure, your bank accounts, you know, your money. I don't know of anyone hoarding. I don't know of anyone defrauding workers' wages. I don't know of any of you living these self-indulgent lives at the cost of another. I don't see that. And I don't see mistreatment or uh, the depriving uh, of the righteous. But here's the thing. There could be possible elements of these that's sinful in your life. There could be possible elements to each one of those that we've all fallen prey to. It's easy. But it's not about what I can see. It's not about what you can see. It's all about what God sees. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, he sees all. You cannot run from the Lord. First song I ever played with my band, I was 11 years old, Jacksonville, Florida. Our hit song was, you can't run from the Lord. It was a metal song. It was awesome. And I've always thought that title over and over. You can't run from the Lord. You can't hide anything from the Lord. We see this in Abel's blood crying out to him. We see this in the defrauded wages crying out to him. God sees all and he hears all and God knows the hearts of man, doesn't he? Psalm 44, Psalm 44, 21. Would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. He even told Samuel, I don't look at the outward appearance of man as man does. I look at the heart. Folks, all the wickedness described today, it flows out from the heart. All of man's passions and desires, whether they are good or bad, 
flow from the heart. The heart cannot be contained. It will come out. This will come out. So herein lies the potential of danger for this beautiful congregation. What if your money could talk? What would your money say about you? Would you be grounded in the earthly or the heavenly? You don't have to share out loud. Just think about it. If your money could talk, would it testify for you or against you? We see in this text it's going to be testifying against these oppressive, rich landowners. But let me take it a step further. What about your time? Will your time speak against you? What will your time say if God asks, tell me about the time he or she has had? Will it testify for you? Will it testify against you? Will your time be grounded in the earthly or the heavenly? What about our thoughts? Oh, this is dangerous. What if our thoughts could be vocalized and your thoughts could speak against you? Earthly? Heavenly? Where would you be grounded? Where or what exactly would your thoughts say against you? What evidence is going to be presented to God by these things? We have to think like that. What if your money could talk? So I asked this question earlier, where is your treasure? So if your money could talk, if your time could talk, and your thoughts could talk, guess what? They will answer this question. And ladies and gentlemen, I am telling you right now, the God of all creation hears and sees all. If blood is crying out, if defrauded wages are crying out, guarantee your money, time, and thoughts will be crying out to God. What will be presented to him? Where are we laying our treasure? Are we laying it here on earth or are we laying it in the heavens? That's the question. So the heart will reveal. The heart will reveal the wisdom that we are applying to our life. True wisdom or false? The heart's going to expose you. Guess what? The heart's going to reveal whose will you were living in. Are you living in God's will? Are you choosing selfish ambition? Are you choosing this path? The heart's going to reveal that. The heart will expose us no matter how dark the recesses, right? No matter how dark and deep wickedness may lurk, the heart will be exposed because for God, it's like looking in the brightness of day. There is no amount of darkness that God can't penetrate. It's like the brightness of day to him. He sees all. These things, our heart, will be exposed. Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with vigilance. For from it flows the springs of life. I love this verse. You know why I love this verse? We have to guard our hearts. We have to fight and protect our hearts. Because what is coming in has to come back out. And guess what? What comes out defiles us. So we have to be protective. We have to be on guard over this heart. Especially if we are deciding where our treasure is going to be. Mark 7, 20, 22. Mark 7, 20, 22. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Did you hear all those things that come out of our hearts? Vigilance. This is why we want to guard and protect our treasure. Where are we laying it? You know, there's a lot of people in this world that say, you know, yeah, I hear you. 
But listen, I love God and, and I serve God, but you know, sometimes uh, the world is a little more beneficial. I will say it again. You can't serve two masters. You can't. You are either going to love one and hate the other, or you're going to be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't live under two different wills. You can't live under two different types of wisdom. You can't live under two different religions. Choices are made. And God knows the heart. So there is no escape. There is no hiding it. Ah, I want to do the world here. I'm going to do God over here. No. I want to tell you something. And I believe a lot of you stand with me. My treasure is in Jesus Christ. His love for me and our relationship is my treasure. Hands down. Because our riches are in Christ. You could design the most glorious automobile and say, this is for you, and I don't want it. I'll take Jesus Christ. You could design the greatest house. I don't want it. I'd take Jesus Christ. You could offer me the most awesome relationship. I don't want it. Well, what about money? I will give you all the money in the world. I don't want it. My riches lie in Jesus. That's where my treasure is. So it's easy, it's easy for us today to see where the treasure of these men lie. It is very easy um, because their hearts are exposed. You know what's interesting about this text for me? We talked last week, and I believe you're with me. God is in control of all things. He holds us in his hands. Everything we have is in his hands. God is everything. He holds us together. When did man begin to think that we were the owners of things, if God is the owner? When did we say, yeah, actually, <laughs> you don't own it. I own it. When did we begin to think like that? Well, I'll tell you, it stems from the sickness of a heart, passions, desires, the things we want. We dismiss God all together. He does not fit in. So God is in control. He is the creator. He owns all. But sometimes, like we see in this text, no, he doesn't. I own it. Therein lies the issue with man's heart. See, I like this text. I'm going to tell you why. When I come across things like this, this is tough to preach. Because you don't get to sandwich sweetness in between it. This is harsh. There is no, this is condemnation. But here's what I like about it. I use this text, and I hold a mirror up, a figurative mirror for myself. Okay? And I look at it and say, am I reflecting any of this nature? Am I reflecting any of these behaviors? Because these, this is a warning. God has given me a wonderful, wonderful warning. So I use this text and mirror, mirror imagery to think about myself and keep myself in check. Because here's what's revealed. These men are revealing worldliness in their speech. They're revealing worldliness in their action, in their wills, and their selfish ambition. They're revealing their desires, their passions. It's all earthly. It is not heavenly. It's revealed. They are exposed. And it stems from the heart. You know, you look at these guys, their gain, their gain was nothing else but hoarding, self-indulgence, defrauding, and mistreatment. That was their gain. But their gain, that's as good as it gets. That's as good as it gets. The coming miseries. Folks, what I want to leave you with is this. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's either here or it's heaven. Where does your treasure lie? These are things you're going to have to think about. You're going to have to pray for conviction. These are the things you're going to have to, to research and examine. Where does my treasure lie? Because your you, you, let me tell you, your life and your heart are going to follow that treasure. Where your treasure is. So does your money talk? Yes, it does. Does your time talk? Absolutely. What are they saying about you? 
Where is your treasure? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to come to you today, Lord, with praise and thanks. Lord Jesus, we get to belong to you. You have saved us. You have rescued us. You are the treasure that we sought all our lives. We tried to replace it with other things. We looked for placeholders in life, fame, prestige, money, power. None of it fits. None of it works. The only true treasure is being and knowing you, being able to live in your presence, having your spirit within us, Father, knowing that we are connected for eternity, knowing that we are sealed for eternity. We are yours. Father God, that is amazing. And it's all through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the whole reason we get to be a part of this church family. That's why we get to be called child of God. That's why we get to be a friend of God. It's all you're doing. We did nothing. Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. He is our treasure. Help us live our lives in that. Let that be our focal point in living. If our money or our time or our thoughts, our resources, anything, the list goes on and on. If they were to speak, let them speak of Jesus and where our heart is because he is our treasure. Father, this is the goal. This is the ultimate goal for us. We pray for this insight. We pray for this kind of discernment. We pray for the applicable wisdom here, Lord, that only comes from you. Guide us into this, God. We pray for this right now. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your blessings. We pray all of this today in Jesus' name. Amen.